you must be prepared to work always without applause. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at LockedOnFantasyBasketball. The last show for this week, I'm going to be looking at trading in fantasy basketball leagues. It's a thing that I get asked constantly about, uh, individual trades, the idea of trading. So I'm going to cover a lot of that stuff here in today's podcast. Michael Bolton, he is super keen. Let's get to it. To it. Let's get to it indeed. Now, I will start this off by saying again, I get this question all the time. And, and this is not for me to sound like an asshole, although I probably do to, to many of you. But when I get, get questions sent to me, do I trade this player for this player? It's really, really hard to answer that question in the, that sort of vacuum. Like I had someone, um, yeah, not not calling this person out because I'm not going to name them, but I, I put a uh, an Instagram story up saying I'm doing a podcast on trading. Any questions about trading? And someone said, "Do I trade Zion for Chris Paul or Chris Paul for Zion?" I don't remember which way it was, and it, it, that's it's impossible to answer. There, you cannot answer it in that sort of context. What league are you in? Nine cat, eight cat, ten cat, fifteen cat, points league, roto, head to head. What does your team need? Because Zion and Chris Paul are giving you absolutely opposite stats, like completely different. Is your team riddled with injury risk players where Chris Paul becomes a real problem? Now, in general, you will say, no, I'll take Zion over Chris Paul. And I probably would say that in most cases. But there'll be situations where Chris Paul's value, if he plays 70 games, will be significantly higher than Zion Williamson. So it does depend on your team. So if you are going to ask me a trade question, throwing something like that, unless it's an absolute no-brainer, um, it, it's it's not helpful and I can't actually answer that question. Yes, someone actually tweeted me a question the other day. I was offered Carl Anthony Towns and let's say Shea Gildas Alexander maybe was the player. I don't remember who it was. This is an example trade. I was offered Towns and Gildas Alexander for my uh, Mike Conley and Kavon Looney. Like that, I don't even care what your team is. Like that, that's that's the trade that you do. Now it wasn't that lopsided, but it was something pretty close to that. So yeah, those sort of things are fine. But in general, if you're having a tough time deciding, and most of the time that's why you're asking me the question. There needs to be a lot more detail and a lot more context put into it because that is something that's important in trading. It's not about, and I've, I've talked about this in the head-to-head snake draft podcast we did. We talked about it in the categorical scarcity podcast we did yesterday. Overall value doesn't exist. It doesn't mean anything. It's not It's not important. So in terms of overall value is a phrase or in a vacuum, which I get thrown out a lot, and it doesn't mean anything because it all has to be in conjunction with how your team looks. So I want to go over a few things regarding trades, uh, a few discussions regarding trades. Uh, had some questions submitted to me as well, which I'm going to cover a lot of that in here. But there's some things that I think is important to keep in mind. Now, the number one thing that I think is important to note is don't take it personally. If someone sends you a bad trade offer, I see people getting so frustrated. Well, if someone sends me a bad trade offer, I'm just never going to listen to their trades again. Just don't take it personally. They're not saying you're an idiot. They're trying things out. 
if someone sends me a bad trade offer, I don't just go, well, cool, well, now you're blacklisted. I'm never trading with you again. I think that's a counterproductive method in terms of being able to have the most fun in a fantasy basketball league and uh, being able to be the most successful. And those two things can tie in together. Now, sure, you can go back at that guy and say, come on, mate, this is absolute nonsense. Send me something proper or, or don't worry about it. And that's fine. And feel free, peeps, someone asked me, is it bad etiquette? To, uh, to publicly shame a person's bad trade offer in your league forum. I actually don't have a problem with that. There's, there's, I have no issue. If someone sends a, a bad trade offer, you can, you can uh, shame them as much as you want. Again, don't get upset about it. Don't take it personally. It's all about having fun in this you know, hobby, really. Uh, have some fun with it. You know, hang shit on people. Call them a dickhead. Call them whatever you want in a in a fun and, and joking type manner. And I've got no problem with publishing that sort of stuff. If someone sends a bad trade offer, hey, it might actually stimulate the conversation to get go further. But if someone sends you a bad trade offer, and you know, there might be, hey, you send me Carl Anthony Towns, and I'll send you back Kavon Looney, and you can you can just reply with a, an up yours emoji, like as simple as that. But don't take it as uh, man, this guy man never talk trading with him again. It's just the end of our discussions. How dare he do this? Does he think I'm stupid? Like just calm down. Like I don't think you need to take this stuff personally. Come back, come back again. And if you want to make it seem dumb to him, go. Will you give me your Steph Curry for my Fred VanVleet? Like that, that, and and, and see, look, see how stupid it looks. Cool. Don't take it too personally in any regard in terms of trading. I think that's the number one thing. People get so over the top or they, I'm going to quit the league. Look at these trades. People just get so angry about it. I think we just need to calm down and just take a breath and uh, and just realize that we can have back and forth in these sort of discussions. The next thing that is super important, and you'll see this a lot, is trading for trading's sake. People love to pretend that they're a general manager of an NBA team. They want to trade just because they feel like they should trade. Now, I won't say nine times out of 10 because that's a number that I've pulled out of my ass, but in a pretty high proportion of situations, in trades that you are doing just because you want to do a trade, you're going to lose that trade in general. Not a blanket rule, not a blanket statement, but if you're trading just for the fact that you want to trade, you're going to get it wrong. The more meddling that you do increases the likelihood of screwing something up. Maybe you do a good trade. That's that's fine. And then you throw out three more trades and they come out and you might lose three of those, of those four. But there is huge possibilities that you actually get worse by just trading for the sake of trading. I see people who do their drafts and then straight away are sending trade offers out. And I'm getting lots of trade questions now. Like, games haven't started. Like, what's changed between now and two days ago? Yeah, in preseason, things change a little bit. But when you, you know, say, drafted on the 15th of September, then you're getting trades on the 20th of September. Like, what changed in those that five-day period that you're making these wholesale trades? Oh, I send Towns and Ayton and D'Angelo Russell, De'Aaron Fox to the other team for Curry. For um, Doncic, like, what's changed in between there and then? So people love executing a trade. It makes them feel good to execute a trade. But in general, let's instead of nine out of ten, let's say the majority of the time, the majority of the time, if you're trading for the sake of trading, you're losing, and therefore you're making your team worse. I think that's really that's really important to note. It is just. Don't and, and you'll see and some leagues will come out and have 150 trades during the season. Some will have four trades during the season. There is a happy medium in there. But I think that we look at trades and a lot of people look at trades as um, something that they have to do. And that, that's not necessarily the case. And in general, if someone's offering you a trade, the odds are it's going to favor them unless they don't know what they're doing. The odds are it's going to favor them. So pushing accept just for the sake of it and for the sake of 
executing a trade and feeling good about getting a new player onto your team. It's not NBA 2K where you're just throwing trades around every five seconds. And I'm guilty of that when I play video games. I'm playing NHL 20 at the moment. I think I'm 20 games into the season. I've done about five trades already, just mixing things up. But in a fantasy basketball situation that is in general, and probably when I'm playing my PlayStation, that's going to be a problem as well. Uh, it's going to make your team get worse. The sunk cost fallacy is important. And it relates to trades in that people look at things, whether they were in an auction and they bid for a player, they expect their third round pick on a guy. And then you do have to realize that once the, unless you're in a dynasty league or a keeper league where draft position, draft auction number and salary is important, these things such as draft positions don't make, they don't mean anything. The players are on your team now. So we head into the first week of November and someone wants to trade. You drafted Mike Conley in round three, and he's really struggling in Utah. And he's yeah, it just isn't seeming to fit, and someone offers you the player that they picked in round five. Maybe it's Eric Bledsoe, who's looking okay in Milwaukee, and you go, no, I picked Conley in round three. Uh, Bledsoe's a fifth-round guy. I'm not making that trade. That's you just valuing what Conley was at the time that you picked him, not four weeks into the season where things may not be working. Now, he might get better. Maybe this is a poor example, but it's just important to note that we often have a tendency in trading to overvalue our own guys based on where we draft them and based on what our valuation was in September or October, and we undervalue other players, uh, other teams' players. That is that is really important to note and understand that you've invested this third round pick in Mike Conley. That doesn't mean you are ever getting, and I'm sorry to keep using Mike Conley, but that doesn't mean you're ever getting a third round pick back in value for him. You have invested that price in, into getting him and it's done. It's finished. He is on your team and he is who he is now. So whatever guys you, you look at in a trade, whatever value he has now is what the actual value is, not what happened two months ago when you made that draft pick and he was pick number 36. And now for the first two months of the year, he's been the same. 70th best player. Now, if that 70th best player comes because he's shooting 30%, then we go, well, you know what? That's going to improve. But if it's just the minutes are down, the production's down, then he is now the, the 70th best player or in that zone. And that's where his value lies rather than trying to hold on to the, the value of where you drafted a guy. Because once a draft is done, and if, and if people are evaluating trades, well, this is my first and your third for your fifth and fourth, those numbers don't make sense. But you know, at the end, auction numbers, draft round, they're, they're done. Like they're, they're finished. At this point of the year, yeah, there's still value because nothing actually uh, has changed really across the NBA. But once the season starts, we have to remember that those draft round numbers and those auction dollars, they don't actually mean anything. Get to know your league mates is a big thing. Now, you might be in a public league. You might be in the Red Rock Challenge Leagues with a bunch of listeners to this podcast. But you can start to get to know these guys. You get chats. You get group me groups. You have Discord channels, whatever it is, league chats, forum pages, whatever it is. Get to know your guys. What team do they support? Who are they fans of? How do they like to build their team? Which guys do they like? What is their team built? Understanding all those things allows you better to execute a trade. You look at a guy who's punting assist and has got like no assists on their team. If you come to them and say, hey, um, do you want my Jar Morant in exchange for your Bam Adebayo? It's maybe not going to be that effective because they're like, what do I need these assists from Morant when my team's punting them anyway? They might be in a situation where they're constantly punting small man stats and going after the bigs. They might be huge Grizzlies fans, and therefore Morant gives them better value. They might be an anti-LeBron player, so no matter what you offer to them, for whatever you offer uh, in terms of giving LeBron to them, like they're just not going to take it. 
They might be a staunch Celtics supporter, so refuse to have any Lakers players on their team, and vice versa, which again is a losing formula in fantasy. But that might be the case. So understanding players or, or your co-managers, um, big likes, which players they love, and anyone who's in a league with me, that's pretty obvious of which guys I like and how I like to build my team because you listen to this podcast all the time. But understanding what they like, what they don't like, and, and trying to extract an extra 5% of value, 10% of value over that sort of stuff or, or out of that sort of scenario can be really key in trying to get uh, get the win. Now, I did have a number of questions come through on the Instagram about two-for-one trades. Someone said to me, uh, are they a scam? Like, they're not a scam, pretty clearly. But two-for-one deals, as pretty much everything in fantasy basketball, it requires context. Now, what is a two-for-one trade if you're new to fantasy basketball? That means it's a situation where one team is giving two players and getting one player back in return. Two players for one player. Now, it depends on what side you're on as to how you view them. But I think the number one thing we have to remember with a two-for-one trade is it's never a two-for-one trade. It's a a two-for-one trade in total. But if you are the team receiving two players, you have to drop somebody unless you've shuttled someone into injured reserve. But you don't have an infinite amount of roster spots. If you're trading away one guy and two guys are coming in, that means somebody else needs to go from your team. Now, whether you drop that guy to waiver wire whether you add that guy into the trade as well. In essence, when trying to evaluate a trade, it is a two for two. If your team is super strong, and you say you're a two for one and you're trading away one player and getting two back, but your team is so super strong, you've killed an auction draft, you had a really balanced strategy and all of your guys are top 70 players, then that other guy that you drop is a really valuable piece. So it is a two for two deal in that sort of a situation. The same thing, if you're receiving the one in a two for one deal, you are then creating an open roster spot. So it's a two for two for you as well because that open roster spot, who are you adding off waivers? Now you can stream that spot, no doubt, but you're going to add someone in there. So in a 10-team league, getting that one player back because the waiver wire is so stacked with talent means you get a good player back. In an 18-team league, a 16-team league, getting that one player back, what you're adding off the waiver wire, you might be adding Tony Snell and we all know that's not very good. So... Those sort of things are quite dependent. So there's no actual set rule. Two for ones are good. Two for ones are bad. I want the one. I want the two. There's a lot of context involved. So I had a number of questions thrown here. Now, in general, if you want a general rule to consider when looking at these, the player getting the one player will win in general. And that especially goes for first round players. If you are getting James Harden, Carl Anthony Towns, Yanni Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, if you're getting any of those guys in a two-for-one trade, you are winning. If you are giving away a third and a fourth round player to get a first round player, you are winning. If you are giving away, someone said, if I uh, had to give away two top 50 players to get a first round guy, it is a guaranteed win. It is a win. Unless your league is 30 teams deep, and then that replacement option that you get in, that might not be as important. But in general, in general, getting that top five, top 10 guy for two players is a win in general. Now, if it's you're getting a top 35 player and giving away two top 50 guys, now that's a completely different situation, a completely different discussion. And it then also comes back to, Who is that waiver option that you're looking to add in? Who is that other player that you might have to drop? Depending on what side of that argument you're on, we have the trade monster over on Basketball Monster where you can go and add these players in. And if it is a two-for-one trade monster, we'll add who likely is the best value waiver wire guy into that mix. You can add your own waiver wire guy to try and balance it up and see how those things play out. 
The other thing to remember in a two-for-one deal, say you're in a roto league or a weekly lock league, a roto league with games limits or a weekly lock league, like if you're getting the two players, what that also does is it pushes one of your best 10 down to a bench situation or into the, your roto bench or into your weekly lineup bench. So you're losing the value of that guy. So it changes your overall team dynamic. So it changes your top 10 guys. Um, and if that guy that you added in, in the extra second player that came in is only marginally better than the guy you're dropping down to the bench, like how much of an actual win it is. It, it's not you getting... In that situation, while you do have to drop someone to the wave wire, but it's not that second guy in that trade that you're getting. It's not, is he better than the guy that I dropped? It's, is he better than my 10th guy who now becomes my 11th guy in that situation? So it is a little bit of a different valuation scenario in that type of a situation in a weekly locks roto league or a, uh, sorry, a weekly lock uh, head-to-head league, whether that's categories or points or a daily uh, or a games limit roto league. Now, a lot of this stuff I'm saying about trading, if you're in a points league, it should be relatively simple to work. And that's why trading in points leagues generally tends to be pretty boring. Because when you're looking at these deals, um, actually, I'll, I, you know what? I've got my run down there and I forgot that I've got that down the end. So we'll talk about points leagues in a second. So in two for ones, in general, getting the one is a win, but there's a lot of context that is required there. How deep is the league? What are your other situations? Weekly versus daily changes? Who are the players? Um, yeah, all those sort of things are, are really important to pay attention to when looking at two-for-one deals. Dynasty league trades. Now, these can be a, a lot more different to try. Uh, that's horrible English. They are quite different to try and execute because you're looking at things not just on a singular season basis, but you're including things like future assets, future rookie draft picks, is your team competing now? Is it rebuilding? So it probably is a lot easier to try and um, to try and get uh, the right value in this deal. You've got an aging star who's thirty-three years of old. Shout out to Lamarcus Aldridge, all right? Who might be a top fifty guy this season, but your team's got no chance of being even a playoff team in your dynasty league. So what value does he hold? Now, he probably has value to one of those competing teams. So what can you get? Can you get two first rounders? Can you get some real young players who are a few years away? Like that's yeah, There is a lot more scope to be able to do that. Whereas in a redraft league, if you're trading LaMarcus Aldridge, you want that same sort of value back in exchange. But you might get lower, much lower value back on Aldridge for this season. But you add in, I'll take a flyer on... Um, I'm trying to think of a name that we can throw in here. Fyndor Kabangele for the Clippers. Let's add him in as a flyer type. Let's add Chris Boucher in. Let's add Christian Wood. Let's add two first round picks. And then let's throw in Rui Hachimura or whatever it is. Like, you know, there's multiple pieces which on the surface have no real impact this season outside of maybe Rui. But in the future, that really does build you up and give you a couple of extra draft picks. So it can become a little bit easier in a dynasty setting to execute a trades because there's multiple levels to the way that teams are valuing players, prospects, assets, all those different things. Cap space in salary cap leagues comes into it as well. You're clearing cap space. You might have to trade away order just 30 plus million and add a first round pick onto it just to clear that cap space because you're running out of room. So there are multiple layers to all of that. One thing, and I actually haven't got in my rundown here, but I'll mention it now. And this is, again, I get this question. Uh, the, the number of questions I get all the time. Now, yesterday I mentioned the one I've gotten in terms of players is do I take DeAndre Ayton or John Collins? The other questions I get is when do I end my league? Just throwing this out there as a bonus question. When do I end my league for playoffs? March 22. End your playoffs on March 22. That is the answer that I've answered it 150 times already this season. March 22. The next question is, Josh, do you want um, league vetoes or league votes for trades? No. You never, ever, ever do. 
No league should ever, and feel free to, to bookmark this, put it on your league forums, homepage, whatever. League vetoes are nonsense. They are stupid. There should never, ever, ever, and ever be league votes on trades. The trade goes through. It's accepted. The commissioner looks at it, and 99 times out of 100, he pushes approve. Now, if the trade is Carl Anthony Towns for Cody Zeller, you go, why you assholes cheating? Get out of this league. But otherwise, it's not up to you to determine value. It's not up to you to look at something and go, I'm not sure if that's fair. Like this guy's traded Towns and he got back um, he got back Aiton and Fox. Oh, mate, you, you're two for one, mate. You got killed. Towns. Ah, Towns is a better player there. Yeah, maybe. That might have been what you did, but you don't know the way that he wants to build his team. There are, there are different things involved there. So it's not up to us to judge these trades. And almost invariably, when league votes are coming in, they're not judging it to protect the, that to protect that manager. Oh, I just want to make sure that he doesn't get ripped off. Don't want to make sure someone gets taken advantage of. They want to look at it and go, I don't want this other asshole to get better to beat me. So they are voting out of self-interest, nothing to do with the trade. Imagine trades in the NBA got vetoed. Um, yeah, Paul George getting sent to the Clippers by the Thunder, and then um, uh, the, the Bucks come in and say, nah, the league vote says no. That's not how it works. That's not how any of these deals work. League votes are gone. They, they should not exist. It is relatively obvious to find out when a team is cheating. Like It is obvious. You can look at a trade and go, well, this is bullshit. But it's not us. Like No one can predict the future with 100% certainty. I sure as shit can't do it. You definitely can't do it either. Nobody can do it. So you can't come out and say, this is a terrible trade. You're going to lose out. Look, we can say, probably you'll lose. Maybe it's bad. Your team, you take the risk. Unless you are doing something to deliberately sabotage the league and to cheat and win money, which again is obvious. Patterns can be determined pretty easily. The trade just goes through. And that brings me to my next point of fair trades. I'm not talking about coffee beans or chocolate or anything here. People go, oh, is this trade fair? Don't worry about it. If it's not fair and you win, who gives a shit? Isn't your aim to better your team? Isn't that what you're trying to do? Is the trade fair? I don't care. Did I win? Yeah. Did I get the better player? Did I do what I wanted to do for my team? Yes. Did the other person agree on it? Yes. Did the two questions that need to be answered. Is it fair? Did I give him back enough in, in exchange? Oh, well, if he said yes, then obviously the answer is yes. Now, it goes back to my first point about if someone sends you a low ball offer, don't get insulted with it. Come back and throw something nonsense at him and just so you go, well, okay, I see your bullshit. Let's try and get a better negotiation going here. But I'm not worried about fair. What the, the thing that's fair is the thing that the other person accepts. So you don't have to go in and look at, here's, here's the trade monster. It's completely equal value here. This is great. If the other person says yes, the other person says yes. It doesn't have to be fair. Because if everything was fair, then what we what's the point of us actually having a competition in any of this stuff? You don't want an uneven playing field, but it doesn't have to be fair. So that's that's how I view those things. Make it make sense is my next point. And in saying that, that takes me back to my earlier example of Chris Paul for Zion Williamson. If your team has got Zion, you've got strong rebounds, high field goal percentage, your defensive stats, you're not really caring too much about assists, and then you take on Chris Paul, like, does that make sense for your team? Is that change in stats going to have a positive impact on your squad? And this ties into, again, the idea of overall value. 
an overall value, it's probably the same. Cool, doesn't matter. If it doesn't make sense for your team, then it's a bad trade. So make the deal make sense for you. Don't trade for the sake of trading. Don't deal in a vacuum bubble, overall value, uh, whatever. Don't trade in that situation. Make it make sense. And if it doesn't make sense, say no. If you go through the season and have two trades and win the league, who gives a shit? You won the league. If you go through the season and made 25 trades and ended up fourth, what? what's the point of that? Make it make sense. If you, in your heart, don't think that you are getting a benefit out of the trade, don't do it. Now, there are, there are plenty of situations where you can be winning the trade. Your opponent or your trade partner can also be winning the trade. A win-win, a perfect situation. It doesn't always happen. But there are also situations where it can be a lose-lose. Zion for Chris Paul again. That situation might actually be worse for both teams. So who won the trade is actually not a valid question. It doesn't actually mean anything in the scope of things because it could be win-win, it could be win-loss, it could be loss-loss. It could be either one. It's all about making it make sense for your individual squad, your individual team. Stop getting hung up about who won the trade. Am I going to win? Is it fair? Like, Don't worry about those things. In the end, once a trade's done also, who cares if it's been won or lost? It's done. It's finished. The trade is done. Deal with it now and make that decision. Points leagues versus category leagues. In category leagues, this is where a lot of that extra nuance and strategy and difficulty comes in because you're looking to balance different categories here. Do I need to trade off my field goal percentage to get some assists in steals and blocks? Am I going to win this category? Where's it go? In points leagues, who, who scores the most fantasy points? Giannis scores 50 fantasy points per game. De'Aaron Fox scores 30. Um, DeAndre Ayton scores 40. These are numbers that I made up. That's 70 points on one side of the trade. That's 50 on the side for Giannis. But remember, then you're dropping someone else. So if you're dropping a player that's worth 10 points in order to take those other guys on, then overall, you probably get more value in the deal. All these things are important to, to, to pay attention to. But if you're in a league that involves heavy streaming, dropping that guy that was 10 points and keeping Giannis and streaming an extra six games in per week from a guy averaging 10 points, then it's a, a win for you, probably. Like, so taking all these things into consideration in all sorts of situations, but in points leagues, it does just boil down to who is scoring the most points. In a one-for-one trade, if one guy scores 40 points, the other guy scores 30 points, please give me an example of why you would take the guy who scores 30 points. Like, there, there is none. So the, the difference in, in those things is important to note. Now, I am going to go here to some questions that I did get asked in Instagram and just see if there's anything there that uh, needs to cover. Um, I'll get this question. Would you trade two, two mediocre players for one superstar, two third rounds for a first rounder? I covered that already. Is it okay to lose overall value for guys that better fit your build? Yes, overall value doesn't mean anything. It has no actual impact. Yes, that is completely fine to do. Um, let's have a look. Is it poor etiquette to reveal atrociously bad trade offers? Yes. Uh, I mean, no, it's, it's not. I've got no problem with that. Any tips for getting league members more active in trading? Well, some not really. I've seen leagues where they go, well, you have to make five trades per year. That is absolutely ridiculous. That is nonsense. You should never have a rule like that coming in. You should never be forced to make trades. Uh, one way to improve trades is to make it into a dynasty league where you can be trading future assets. That's one way to really increase trades. Another way, if you want to get more trades going, is make the league deeper. 
Instead of having a 13-man roster, have a 25-man roster. And then you can't be going and adding guys off waivers. Then to get these guys, you have to make trades to make changes to your team. So that's another way. But don't be so focused on it. If, if two trades happen during the season, oh, well, that's fine. It doesn't actually matter. If you have 100 trades or two trades, it doesn't matter. I've seen leagues seriously where shit just goes wild consistently and trades are happening every five minutes. And in general, the people who are trading like crazy, there's someone who's just consistently losing and it actually makes their team worse. Here's a good question. When is the best time to target panicking owners or managers uh, after the first week? Yeah, look, the first week of the NBA season is your super aggressive buy low, sell high type time. You will see people freaking the hell out about the performance of their players, uh, overvaluing guys. That is absolutely the time to be trying to win those buy low, sell high type deals. That first week to 10 days of the season, you will see crazy shit in your leagues. I'm always wanting to hear from people where a crazy trade went down in their league after those first couple of uh, couple of games. Um, this is a good question. When trading, how much attention are you giving to how that trade affects the other team? And the answer to that is zero until we get really close to the playoffs. So if I'm trading with another team, I'm not looking at it, well, I'm not sure I'm going to trade with you because that might make you better in this situation. Just focus on making your own team better. If that makes the other team better, fine. If it makes them worse, fine, whatever. Focus more on what you're doing. Now, when you get to the playoffs, uh, or even in a roto league towards the end of the season, when you're trying to balance out stats, I need to jump this guy here and need to cut him off here, then that does become a real factor. But at this time of the year, up through to you know, February, I don't think we should be paying all that much attention to it. We should be looking at just making our teams better, and then you can focus on you know, how much of an impact does this have on my challenges. I don't think we need to be paying that much attention to that at this point. Um, should you look into trades before games kick off? In general, I'll say no. If someone wants to offer you a trade that seems too good to be true, then take it. I'm not you know, going crazy on these situations. And I'm also not drafting players to trade them. I'll just draft this guy because I can trade him later. Well, if the reason he fell to you 25 spots, it's because other people didn't want him. So if you're taking him just for that sake, then don't be surprised if a trade doesn't happen. And that's also, again, goes back to one of those earlier points of knowing your league mates. If they don't like to trade, grabbing guys, I'll I'll just draft best player available and trade later. Well, if your league doesn't trade, then that actually doesn't work pretty clearly. So having to know your team and or knowing your league mates is important. Um, I reckon that uh, is almost about done. Um, and here's another one. How often do you try to manipulate the numbers by offering a two-for-one trade? Like that's something that happens. It is something you should be trying to do, but there is, it's like a 70%, you know, always get the one, but not always. It really does depend on a lot of settings in your actual league. That will do it. For today's podcast on trading in fantasy basketball, let me know in the comments below whether there's something I missed, whether there's something I disagree you disagree with. Um, let me know your thoughts on this podcast. You can tweet at me as well at redrock underscore bball. The best way to make sure you never miss an episode is subscribe. Hit the little bell on YouTube. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on Stitcher. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.
CJ Miles.